Good evening. Pashas Veda. Chavdal Tevis. We know, we've spoken many times, the simon of the makis If you want to know how many makis are in which parasha, Vaeda is Vav Aleph, Vav is 6, Aleph is 1, is 7. <coughs> Boy, was Bez Aleph, which is 3, therefore there are 3 makis in Pasha's Boy. Makis. What are Makis? Technically a Makis, the translation to Makis means hit. It's a hit to a person. A person gets hit. Animal gets hit. Pasuk tells us makish. Sayeo, if a person hits another person, hence we derive the word of a make. person hitting or an animal being hit yet the translation that Taylor uses here literally a maka is a plague Tereh tells us though, Edis v'hasro'o v'makis. There were testimony and warnings of the makis. As we know, v'yamalashivas yom achrei hikis havayas hayair. Seven days after which the river was smelt. That's a strange lotion. Witnesses and warning. The word made to testify, testimony, has to be understood. Because you can testify on something that happened. Something happens, you testify. Oh, I saw this happen, I heard this happen. You can't testify on something that's about to happen. You can't give testimony on tomorrow's news. You know the famous uh, story of the fellow that found the newspaper on a bus. He's riding on a city bus. He found the newspaper. And uh, it looked a little awkward, but he didn't understand what was wrong with it. And it occurred to him, there was a little trivial thing wrong with this newspaper. It had tomorrow's date. It was tomorrow's newspaper. How interesting. Tomorrow's newspaper. Which means to say, he's reading news that's going to happen. It's quite intriguing. And then the mind set the gear, and it occurred to him, a cop, a business head as a business head. 
You got to make... You're going to make money. Guy's going to make money. He found tomorrow's newspaper on the bus. He's going to make money. How's he going to make money? He's going to look up all the sports and see all the results in the sports. And he'll bet. He'll write down all the winners, all the horses that are going to win, all the teams that are going to win. And he'll go to the bookies and he'll make himself big money. No, the plan was a great one, and uh, <coughs> after writing everything down, he realizes, you know, I'm going to be a multimillionaire after this. As a multimillionaire, i got to do a good deed. So I want him to have it written up in history, how I became a multimillionaire, obviously he's going to get out one day. So I want it to be history that I did a good deed before I even became the multimillionaire. What good deed could I do? In the newspaper you have different sections. Business, you have uh, stocks. So he wrote down all the stocks that he was going to buy also that would go up. There's also a section in the newspaper which unfortunately every day has somebody in it. It's called the obituaries. The obituaries, the people that die. He said, great idea. He went and he wrote down, <laughs> he turns to the obituaries, he's going to write down the names, he's going to look up their phone numbers and call them, tell them they're going to die that day. What better deed could be? <coughs> but he turns to the obituaries, the first name was his. Died of a heart attack. Right. He died of a heart attack. Oh, that's a problem. I forgot there's a problem with the mic. So technically, Eidos for Marcus doesn't make any sense. The expression Eidos means it's a testimony. No. It's my brother slash cousin. Okay. We just have the same. It's from um, his neighborhood over there. He lives on 48th and 9th. Oh, really? 45th and 9th, excuse me. Oh, uh, 45th and 9th. Huh? I live on 14th Street at night. Okay, so that's it, your neighborhood. <laughs> so perhaps we could say that the reason why the Torah uses the lotion of Eidos, of testimony, it's not actually a testimony to something. Because testimony, Eidos has to only be something on something positive. That you know that this is what happened. Something that has not yet come about, you can't testify to. So then how can he therefore be an aidus on something before it happens? When it comes to warning, you warn somebody. If you don't do such and such, we know that by Pashas Achrei Mois Kedoshim, Achrei Mois, Dashi says, Achrei Mois Nebenei what happened over there? They were warned, don't drink any wine, because you'll die... Because the Kayan could die. When was the warning given? After Aaron's children passed away from that. And Ashi tells us, a marshal to a person, a sick person that comes to the doctor, and the doctor tells him, you should not drink any cold, or sleep in any cold places. It's not good for you. So the guy says, okay, and he tries to listen to the doctor, but then he goes to another doctor. And the other doctor says, you should not drink any cold or sleep in any cold places because you could, God forbid, die like this other guy died. Now you're talking, doctor. That's a warning that I'm scared of. And that is something that can scare the person. And Akhre Mois, therefore, it's after the person dies... That the person is now warned, not just as a warning, but as a warning saying that if you're not going to be careful, this is going to happen to you. So, Hasra is always a pre a preempt 
something that, be, that before the person has it happened to them, they get this warning. They can get a warning. This is what Rashi therefore doubles up. And he says, Bimakis, there were two types. Within them, that there were punishment for what they did. Behavior of, of Pari, for example. And therefore it was definite that the Makkah was going to come. Since Pari was being punished for what he had done, so therefore by being told that he's going to get the Makkah, that he's going to suffer, it was a testimony to something that's going to happen. It was the definite thing that was going to happen. That's why Rashi says that Moshe made, he, conv- he gave testimony already about this Makkah as a warning to Pari that he's going to be paid back. Masha'ikah, when it comes to Makkah Tzfardeya, comes to the frogs, Moshe says, Imoin Atta, if you're going to withhold, On these Makas, Rashi says that Moshe warned. Because it wasn't definitely that he would be punished. Because he's not being punished on something he did. He's being punished for not releasing the Jews. But being punished for not releasing the Jews, it's only a warning, not a testimony. We find very interestingly by, by the war of Devera, Barak, that Devera sings Shira after her war. What was the shira that she sang? She sang thanking her God for all the miracles that transpired. What were the miracles that transpired? That she was saved, the Jews were saved by the battle. (coughs) But the truth is that she was already told in a prophecy that the Jews were going to now be saved in war. That's the case. Why did she not sing the testimony before? Why did she not sing her shira before the war even went about? The mere fact that she was given the Basura Teva, and she was given the knowledge, she was given the prophecy that there's going to be a war, and the Jews are going to be saved, should be sufficient to have the sins of the Shira. Why does she have to wait till after the battle? There's a marshal given of a poor person starving to death. He was lying in the street, he was ready on his way out. And a man walks over, a wealthy man walks by and sees this poor fellow lying there on the ground and he says, man, you look terrible, you must be starving. Come. And he lifts the man up and he takes him to his home and he feeds him a beautiful meal. He revives the man. The man is now sated and he's satisfied and he's happy. And it's midday, it's a good lunch but save the guy's life he tells the man you know what young man tomorrow we eat lunch at the same time I want you to join us at our table young man thanks him profusely thanks him for the meal that he just had and even more so for the invitation for tomorrow Thank you so much for inviting me. It's so wonderful, so nice of you to have me. That night, the poor man had no supper. He ate at 12 o'clock. It's 6 o'clock now, 6 hours later. Start getting hungry again. He's getting very hungry at 8 o'clock. At 9 o'clock, he says, I better drink some water to stave off the pain and go to sleep quickly. That's what he did. Nine o'clock, he goes to sleep. Two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, he wakes up and he's famished again. He's hungry. It's fifteen hours since he's eaten anything. Not dying, but he's he's he's, uh, he's hungry. He gets up in the morning and he goes to shul and he davens, but he's starting to get dizzy already. He's dizzy already. He's starved, he's, he's, he's famished, he's 
starting to drag his feet. Comes 12 o'clock, finally he knows, he knocks on the door of the rich man's house, and he gets welcomed beautifully, and the smell, the delicious aroma wafting through the air. And he sits down by the table, he's revived just from the smell, and he has a scrumptious meal. After the scrumptious meal, he thanks the man. Thank you so much for inviting me. Not for the meal. Thank you for inviting me. And the rich man says to him, Anshuldik, excuse me, I don't understand. You thanked me yesterday for inviting you for this meal. Why are you thanking me again? And the man says to him, very simple, Yes, I thanked you yesterday. Yesterday when I thanked you, I was on a full stomach. Today, I was starving again. And I appreciate this meal totally differently. So the person, therefore, does not say shir before the battle because they don't really appreciate it. After the battle, when they see the actual rejuvenation of the nation, then they can say it. And this is what happened here. To give aidus on something that's going to happen, only you can do that when you know this thing is surely going to happen. A miracle. What's in a miracle? The truth is, nothing. What does that mean, nothing? It's a miracle. Look at it. Someone's sitting in Buffalo, New York, and he's sitting and listening to a class in Brooklyn, New York. Face to face. That's a miracle. He's drinking. We take it for granted. We take it for granted we have a little box that's called a computer. Wonderful little toy. It has a little camera on it. And the other person has the same thing. And they Skype. And you can see each other across the world without a problem. You talk face to face. It's a wonderful thing. We take it for granted today. 30 years ago, you tell somebody that's going to happen. They say, ah, Shige, in Hollywood maybe. Who would think? Who would imagine? It's minor technology of a local person. Minor te- modern technology. A miracle. The world was created by God. And the world runs naturally. We go out to the world, we see beautiful trees and beautiful flowers. And we call this nature. It's nature, it's natural. Seed comes along and goes under the ground, and along comes a plant. And then, if you plant a different type of seed, you can get a tree, and you can buy a different type of seed. You get a fruit tree, and a that tree, and a yellow tree. Wow, 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 wow. How natural it is. You gotta put a little bit of water, and you're good to go. told this about a million times. Good old Yankel Smirnov. Yankel Smirnov was a Russian comedian. And his line was, what a country. What a country. He comes to America, what a country this is. He says, I come supermarket. A walking aisle I see a bag. It says potato powder. 
Potato powder. Potato is not powder. Potato bulb. It's big. It's round. I asked the man in the store. I said, "This is a shtoetu. It's kartoffel. It's kartoshki." He says, "What are you kartoshki? You're crazy. Kartoshki is big. No, you take this. You mix it with water. It becomes kartoffel." What a country! He says. He goes to the next aisle. There's another bag. It says milk powder. It says milk. You drink milk. How could milk be powder? He stops another man in the store. He says, Stoetu, milk, milk. You drink milk, coffee. He says, yes, you take this powder, you mix it with water, it becomes milk. He says, Vara, country. And then he goes to the next aisle and he sees this big blue and white container. It says, baby powder. He says, oi, you're going to mix it with water. And you're going to have babies. This is our marriage. What a country, he says. This is a miracle. What we take for granted today, Hateva, the word Hateva, the nature, is the same numerical value as Elohim, God. God enclosed every miracle, every existence in the world to look like it actually could happen. So that someone comes along and says, what a country. <coughs> we find though, sometimes in the Torah, miracles that contradict themselves. Do they actually contradict? Probably not. Because it's godly. And it's from God, it's in the Torah, it can't possibly be a contradiction. So let's find out how to grab this thing by the tail and straighten it out. In Pasha Shemais, the Basik tells us, Moshe comes across a burning bush, not a president, comes across a burning bush, and He's standing there with his staff. And Hashem asks him, What's this in your hand? This is Morty's baby. Yay, She's a week old. And Moshe answers, Mate, a stick, staff. God tells him, Throw it to the ground. He throws it to the ground, it turns into a snake. Moshe runs for his dear life. God tells him, grab the snake by the tail. And as he does, it reverts back to a staff. It didn't happen by itself. Moshe had to grab it by the tail and make it revert back to a staff. In this week's Pasha, Aaron takes the staff, throws it to the ground, it turns to a snake, and then it comes back into a staff, and then the staff eats all the other staffs. Which is a miracle within its own right. Not the snake ate the staffs, but the staff ate the staffs. Sorry? I've just been told always differently. It's school. His staff. So the Pasuk says. His stick ate the whole thing. His stick, his staff. His, a snake ate the whole thing. Ah, you see, that's to read the Pasuk and you'll see differently. Pasuk tells us. Ah, uh, Pasuk, Pasuk. Pasuk says they come before Pare. Um. Aaron throws his staff before Pari, in front of the servants, and the son turns into a snake. And Pari called his magic magicians over there. They did the same thing with their staffs. And it turned also to snakes. 
Vayivla mate aroin esmatoisom. And the staff of Aaron swallowed their staffs. Clear Pasuk in the Torah. But as a child, they always teach the children something a little bit different, a little twist. And the twist that was always added over here was exactly like you just said. A lot of people thought that it means that the snake ate everybody. And it makes sense. The snake can eat other snakes. But the real miracle was that the staff ate the other ones. We find, in essence, though, there are two types of miracles. We find later the miracle of Kriyas Yamsuf. <laughs> the splitting of the Yamsuf. There was a wind that was blowing the entire night, and it split the water. And it stood up like a wall. Had that wind stopped for a second, the, wall, the water reverted back to its way, to the regular flow. In other words, the nature of the water is to run and to flow downhill. Oh, Morty's on a roll. And therefore the miracle took place the entire time that the wind kept blowing. We find another type of a miracle... That doesn't have to continuously happen, revisit being a miracle. But the nature of the item changed in its own. In order to return, it has to have another ness, another miracle. For example, Moshe's hand. Moshe put his hand into his shirt, and it came out, it was white. He put it back, and it became out regular. He didn't need it. It didn't happen on its own. It had to have another miracle to revert. Mashenke in the Yamsuf. The Yamsuf had a miracle. Once the miracle was taken away from it, it reverted back. From here we see also, therefore, the explanation. The difference between the staff in our Pasha and the staff in Shemais. In Pasha Shemais, it would turn into a staff to teach him a warning about Lashon Hara. Teach him a warning about Lashon Hara, and therefore he had to have a direct miracle again to make it go back to the staff. In the Pasha over here, it was not to teach about the actual lesson from the snake. But rather, it was the etzim zach to tell to tell Pari that a miracle is taking place by showing Pari a miracle. Therefore, it didn't have to have another miracle to revert; it just had to take away the miracle, and therefore the staff itself changed back. You have to excuse me a moment, folks. Little infections don't help much. Sweet. What? Salsa. You drink cruise? Thank you. 
here. So we find the whole belief of nature. How did you even edit this, Rabbi? So a lot of bad things. Huh? <laughs> how do I how do I switch for everybody? Friends. Is that friends? No, it's my freaking Facebook list. What is this? My my list, my chat list. Oh. Every uh, Facebook goes. Friends. Friends. Sorry? We find this week the d- strange dialogues that go on between Moshe and Parai. And between God and Moshe. God tells Moshe, you have to go. Go talk to Parai. And Moshe says to him, it's a little bit of a problem. Very good. And but again, let's look at the wording of this conversation. And we find there's something very wrong. My camera went off? No? Your video is turned off. Why? I told you. Shut it off. What shut off? I'll see vulgar things on it. Turn back on. Hello. Why can't oh, you zoom in? Call him back. No. Call him back. No, 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 did the pasuk just moved out from under my hand there? Sorry. Okay. By David, Moshe speaks to God, saying, Moshe speaks to God, saying, and he says, "Hey, Bnei Yisrael, leshamu elai. The Bnei Yisrael don't listen to me." And how do you expect Pari to listen to me? My lips are blocked. Now, technically, this makes no sense. Because it should say, what is Anir al Fasayim doing at the end of the Pasuk? It should be in the beginning of the Pasuk. But no. Let's now translate the Pasuk properly. I don't know what happened to my camera. Why am I off the air? Can someone tell me this? Maybe I need more lights here. You see it all? No, I don't see anything. And they see you. They don't. Do you see me there? No. 
check the light switches over there. There should be these three light switches. I don't know if all three are on, but the lights are burnt out half the room here. Guys, we apologize, but I have to Therefore, the question, this is how the thing works. Take off the plate and push it, make sure the top is up. Good. That one's on. All three are on. Hello, it's dark in here. The lights don't work. And I can't, they can't see me on the Skype. I don't know. Sorry. He says as follows. Moshe says to the Abisha saying, They, the Bnei Yisrael, did not listen to me. You hear this? The Bnei Yisrael did not listen to me. It is. Moshe now asks God, What will happen? Yishma'eni Farai. If Parai does listen to me, and Parai says, okay, take the Jews out. But the Jews are not listening to me. So they're not ready to leave, even though I told them they have to leave. So what's going to happen then? Then my lips are going to be blocked. I'm going to look like a total fool. Because here Parai is saying, leave. And the Jews don't want to walk out the door. I'm going to be blocked. So that's the actual wording here. That Mesha's dialogue here with the Abishta. This is the myth of the Tzemach Tzedek. That's the third of the Bible. Well, I'm actually going to tell you a story of the Tzemach Tzedek today. But we discussed before about the staff swallowing the staff. <sighs> Who cares? Who cares if a snake swallowed it or a staff swallowed it? Chazal tell us the Gemara Masech the Seita Shemishal Shaladim Eitzik Lekara Vizchaveda Lenyani Tereu Mitzisel Yesh Leilas Yisayis B'Derach Sheyemin Mekanevis When a person tries to get his fellow Jew to come closer to the Jewish nation, he should do this, Yumin Mikareves, with his right hand, bringing them closer. You have to show the person love and attention. (coughs) What happens if the person is totally devoid from Torah? devoid from it, it's totally entrenched in the world. And he doesn't feel that he's even distanced from God. He doesn't, it doesn't bother him. And you should have to bang it into his head. You have to try to peel off, bang away all the chumriyas, all the wicked things that are around him. And then you can bring out the inside. Then he learns to understand how far he is from God. Like he brings down in the Zayar, Gufad le Salik Bey Nehera, the Nishmosa Mivachali. A body that doesn't have any lack of the light of godliness, you have to smack it through. That's what we learn, therefore, from this Pasuk. According to Rashi, when a person has to hit and to consume, to swallow up, as Zulasai, there's two conditions. The first condition is Mata Aren. Aren staff. Why Mata Aren? Why is it called Aren staff? We know that the Mishnah in Perkyavis says Aren was Ayyav Shalom, Viraydav Shalom. He loved and pursued peace. In order to be sure that this hit that this reprimand coming from this staff has the proper message for it and brings closer 
a fellow Jew. And it's not coming, God forbid, because the person's ego wants to make him a greater man, and therefore he's trying to make this other person better. It has to be from Isha Chesed, from the kindest of people. And who is the kindest of people? Arnakayim. He loved everyone with a true love. Another way is, after the staff consumed the other staffs, that the swallowing had to be a staff, not a snake. A stick that had to do it. What is a stick? A stick is daim. A stick comes from, there's four types. There's daimim, tzameach, chayim, edaber. The day the staff no longer grows. It no longer has any life to it. And therefore it doesn't have any kind of emotion to it. So I have no question in my mind what what was this staff thinking when it did this. Oh, I had a question this week that was bothering me. I can't remember what it was now. Oh, no, this is terrible. I wonder if he's going to remember. When are you getting reclasses? That's the question of the day. No, you said you're bringing What was the staff thinking? No, that's not the question. So the staff has no feeling to it. Mashenkin, if it was a snake, what was the question I said I wanted to ask this week? The what? Ah, okay, bye. <laughs> he's good, he's good. This guy is good. I see you. So therefore, the staff does not have any kind of heart. There's no conditions. He does it unconditionally because God told him to do it. That's why he's doing it. The snake, on the other hand, could do it out of vendetta. The snake attacks out of hatred. The question I wanted to ask this week... They say... There's many different things that you know. Like if you drop a piece of bread that's buttered, it'll always fall on the buttered side. <laughs> and if it doesn't fall on the buttered side, it means you butter the wrong side. Um, they say if a person learned how to ride a bicycle, they'll never forget. That's so true. Huh? True. It's true, right? If you got on a bicycle when you were a kid, you used to ride a bicycle... And you don't ride a bicycle for 20, 25 years, you can still get on a bicycle and you just start riding. Uh-huh. Right? I'm expert. Why? <laughs> that was my question. Why? Out of all the talents that there are, I know guys that jump rope when they were kids and they can't jump rope today. I can't do jump rope. Okay. But my when it comes to riding a bike, you can get on a bike no matter when in your life. If you rode a bike when you were young, you'll never forget how to ride a bike. Why? That's what is there in riding a bike? I think that's my next day to ride a bike. Bike riding is a very good, a very good sport. What is the bike riding that doesn't let you forget it? I don't know. That's a question that remains to be answered. We have to still discuss Chavdala Tevis. That's I said. We have to discuss it. <laughs> the fast is different. Fast that we go through on the Thursdays this week and for the next seven weeks. Is Shavim Tat. Oh, Shavim. Tat is the acronym, is Rashtavis. For Shmeis Vaida Bay Bishalach Yisrael Mishpatan Trumat Tzava. They tell us something else in Shiva. They tell us something with the Shuvah of Wasting the Sea, no? No, it's 84 fast person has to do if they do that. Classes. You're gonna get engaged, right? This club. I'm getting engaged tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yes, you don't scare us. I'm getting engaged. Don't first ego, then I'll go. Don't, 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 don't. Uh, don't make such stipulations. You don't know. You don't know what you're wishing for. Uh, you're not at five years from now. Almost. You're right. You don't know. Um. <laughs>
Before we go to Chavdal Tevis, I want to speak. It's a Machzedek. When we talk of open miracles, sometimes wonder how does a miracle actually happen? And how long does it take sometimes for us to recognize that the miracle happened? There's a story of a Chassid that was an innkeeper. He had an inn, and he was actually successful and very, very happy, and people were very happy with him. The neighbors were happy with him. Everybody was happy with his service. Not only everybody was happy with his service, he paid his bills on time, he paid his rent on time. Everything was very, very smooth. And one day, next set, one guy passed his kids, and another kid passed his kids. Thank God. Inshallah. And so, one day the pirates came to this innkeeper and told him, one month you're out. The guy started to plead and to cry and to beg and to say to him, what are you talking about? Why would you do this to me? I never, I never late you... Uh, Never had a late payment, never this. Why are you all of a sudden doing this to me? And the pirates told him there's nothing to talk about. One month, you are out. Obviously, there was great devastation. The man was terribly devastated, disappointed, disheartened. And he went running to his Rebbe, the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Lubavitch Rebbe. And he came to the Tzemach Tzedek and he told him his plight. The Tzemach Tzedek took a paper and a pen, scribbled a short note, put it in an envelope, and wrote the name Shmuel HaKotten. He said, go take this to Shmuel HaKotten. Go take this to this person. And the chassid walks out of the room, he's very excited, and he looks at the name of the envelope, and says, Shmuel HaKotten, he says, Oy vey. Shmuel HaKotten was a poor woodchopper that lived in the forest. There was another Shmuel, his name was Shmuel HaGodl. Shmuel HaGodl was a wealthy man. Shmuel HaGodl could help him out, influential. Shmuel HaKotten? The Rebbe must have made a mistake. But he couldn't go back in to talk to the Tzemaselech. He went to the eldest son of the Tzemach and he asked him what to do. And he told him, the Rebbe doesn't make mistakes, just go. And so slightly disheartened, but the Emunah Satsadikim, the belief of the Tzadik, Chassid sets out to go to Shmulakotten. And he goes through the forest, and he comes out in the forest, he finds the house of Shmulakotten. Ah. And he finds Shmuel HaKotten. He's two years old now. Yeah. And he knocks on the door and Shmuel HaKotten lets him in and he tells Shmuel HaKotten to have a letter for the Rebbe. And he gives him the letter saying that whatever the Tzema said, they wrote to Shmuel HaKotten. Shmuel HaKotten says, I don't know how I can help you. Here I have a spare little corner in my house. Put your stuff down and stay with me for a few days and we'll see. A full week goes by, and there's nothing happening. One night, middle of the night, the Tuchsidim fabring a little bit, and they finally decide that tomorrow he's leaving. He doesn't know what the Rebbe wanted, what kind of miracle, but he doesn't see it. And middle of the night, is knocking on the door, pounding on the door. Howling wind, cold rain. Someone's pounding on the door, and Shmuel looks out, and it's the parrots. And immediately he opens the door to the parrots, and he brings him inside. And the parrots says, "Quickly, quickly! I'm dry. I'm, I'm, I'm freezing. I'm star. I, I got stuck in this rain, stuck in this storm. I'm dying." Shmuel said, "Don't worry." come, he gave him his change of clothes, his only clothes that he had in the house and he gives him uh, he puts on the fire 
and he gives him a hot cup of tea, and he saves his life. The pilot says to him, Shmuel, no, you saved my life. I owe you anything you want. And Shmuel says, if you really mean that, I have a little dilemma, I need a favor. But says anything. No problem. He says, my friend was leasing an inn by you. And for some unknown reason, you threw him out. I want you to give him back his lease. Paul says, no problem. I like the guy. And he says, okay. And he calls out his friend. Paul takes out a paper. And he signs him a lease for 20 years. Is the Chassid saw an open miracle? Nah. Not yet. When he got the letter, he thought it would be addressed to Shmuel Agolvo. He asked the Puddits, tell me, why are you throwing me out? So I'll tell you the truth. Shmuel Agolvo came to me. He said he has a son-in-law. He wants to give him a business. I should throw you out and give the in to my son-in-law. To his son-in-law. And I asked him, how can you possibly do that to a fellow Jew? But Shmuel Agal threatened me and he this and he that, and I had no choice. But now I have what to answer him. So we see how the Chassid didn't realize, had the Rebbe given the letter to Shmuel Agadol, the Rebbe didn't make any mistake. The Rebbe knew where the parts were going to end up, the Rebbe knew that Shmuel Agadol was the one that was the whole cause of the problem. So therefore we see a miracle within a miracle, as we see by many different makas. Speaking of Marcus, I saw something very interesting about the Marcus, and I don't have time for that now, really. It talks about Marcus borrowed. Rashi tells us Marcus Becheris was more valuable, was more important than all the other Marcus. Uh-huh. It was like all the Marcus together. So the question is, why is Marcus Becheris mentioned over here in the Marcus borrowed? Many different answers to it, but one of the most interesting answers I saw today was in essence <coughs> when Rashi wrote his original text, he wrote Shin Membez, which is translated here Shemakis Becheres. But really it stood for Shemakis Barat. And the guy that was resetting, retypesetting the the Rashi made the mistake to write Marcus Becheres instead of Marcus Barat. Very really powerful word. Anyway, Chavdal Tevis is the Al-Tarebiz Yod Okay, that's straight up. Tonight is Chavdal Tevis. And the al had a very, very interesting approach to Chassidus. And whereas we are called Chassidim, really the al wanted to call us Balei Tshuva. The problem with calling Bali Tshuva would have been that nobody would have felt that they could, be re- they could reach a Chassid. If we, who act like Chassidim, are Bali Tshuva, what's a Chassid? <laughs> so they never used the phrase Chassid. But the Rebbe, in essence, was very involved with Bali Tshuva. And the famous story of the Mittler Rebbe, the Rebbe's son, and successor. He wasn't a very healthy man. And one day he was fasting, all of, out of the blue. Now, Tereb asked him, why are you fasting? And he said, because I had a dream. 
And this dream shook me to the core, and I and I, I have to fast. It's a very interesting halacha. It's called a tainus cholam. The batchin the amaretz. The wedding fiftieth anniversary, and the batchin was in amaretz. So one of the things, the praises he was talking about the chosn was a big tainus cholam. But the fiftieth anniversary. So he said that the wife is holier than the Jews in the desert. Because the Jews in the desert ate the man for 40 years and she's eating her man already for 50 years. Yes, and the man for 50 years. Anyway, uh, 50 years. The, so the Mithra Rebbe was fasting for a tiny scholar. He had a horrific dream. Now, the Rebbe was very, very concerned because it's not healthy enough to fast. And he asked him, what was the dream? So he told him. I was standing by the river. And in the river there was a log. Instead of a regular bridge, it was a big log. And the three people were standing there. By the, by the bank. And he described them. One being the Altarebbe. And the other two, he didn't know who they were. One had a swollen leg and limped a little bit. He was in the middle. And the other one he described also. The one in the middle with a swollen leg told the other person, not the Altarebbe, to walk, across, to walk to the end of the log. And as he started to walk on the log, the water started to flow, started to fill up, and the log started to shake. He got halfway and he had to come back. Then the man told the Altarebbe to do it. And the Altarebbe started to walk, and he walked to the end of the log and came back. So the Mitlarebbe was very confused. First of all, who are the other two people? And secondly, why is it that you made it to the end and they didn't? The other man didn't. And the Altarebbe explained to him. The Al-Tarebbe explained to him, the people you saw, the one in the middle was the Balshemtov, and the next one that he tried to walk first was the, was the Magid, Magid Mazrich. So he said to his father, so why is it that the Magid couldn't make it to the end and you did? And the Al-Tarebbe answered, because the Magid never involved himself personally with Bali Tshuva. Mashenkin al-Tarebbe said, I did. And because of my involvement with Bali Tshuva, therefore I was granted to walk till the end. Al-Tarebbe was very, very concerned in Napoleon's battle that Napoleon should not win the battle, should not win the war. And when al-Tarebbe had with the Baran Kalina a little wager, the Kalina said that it was important for Napoleon to win, and the Altarebbe said it was important for him to lose. And the reason he felt it was important for him to lose is because he felt that Napoleon would bring too much freedom to the nation, and the Jews would then abandon the Yiddishkeit. So they had a little wager, it was Rosh Hashanah in the morning, and they said, okay, whoever blows Shafer first their opinion will be held up in heaven. And the Baran got up early in the morning and started Shachris. And they tried to daven as quickly as possible. I mean, Rosh Hashanah is after all Rosh Hashanah. But by the time they got up to Tkiyah Shefer, after Tkiyah Shefer, they found out the Al-Tarebbe already blew Shefer. Huh. How? He blew Shefer before Shachris. He didn't have to wait till later. And Napoleon took it, took it loss. And the Altarebbe saw to it when he left his town, Napoleon showed up right before him, right before he left, right after he left. But the Altarebbe went back, even though his wagons had left, he went back to check the house one more time to make sure everything was out. Apparently Napoleon was some kind of sorcerer also. And he was concerned that if he get his hands on anything of the Altarebbe, 
He would damage the Altarebbe. So the Altarebbe went back and found a pair of slippers, an old worn pair of slippers. He took them and he found another two things in the attic and they left. Before leaving, they burnt the house down. Napoleon was so frustrated and infuriated that he burnt down the shul also. But the the Altarebbe ultimately, because of this whole battle with Napoleon, took a toll on his life and on his health and he passed away we should fulfill the wants and the wills of the Altarebbe reaching out to all our friends the Bali Tshuva and we should be able to reach to every corner of the world and as the Baal Shemta was promised by Mashiach Mashiach this very Shabbos